Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Leo, we have a problem. I'm, of course, talking about the 80s Kids DVD archive. I was perusing my way through there the other day when I started noticing worrying gaps, as if someone had removed a DVD and not returned it. I was initially irate. I went to the index to look up what was missing, but I, I couldn't find what was gone. But there was definitely something that was supposed to be there, and it's not there anymore. It's. It, can you shed any light on this? Ian? What I'm about to tell you may sound a little crazy, but please bear with me. I am not, in fact, Leo, as you know from the Revenge of the 80s Kids podcast. I am, in fact, Theo from the Raiders of the Lost 80s podcast in an alternative reality. Unfortunately, in our reality, Walt Disney was born 60 years previous to the way he was born in your reality, and unfortunately this has had a detrimental effect on our culture to the point where now people have to wear brain-scrubbing machines when they go to sleep at night to erase any form of copyrighted material out of their dreams, and last year's summer blockbusters have to be completely digitally irrevocably destroyed uh, on December the 31st every year. Uh, now, I've managed to break out of the cycle. I'm living with some rebels underground, and we've started to realise that all they're doing is putting out the same five movies every year on a strict rotation. So I've uh, developed this technology along with uh, the alternative versions of yourself and Justin to visit other realities, reclaim our culture, and free us all from the hand of Big Bay. So, uh, yeah, that's why I've got this big shopping bag full of DVDs, which I then brain scrubbed from your memory and deleted from your index. Terribly sorry, but <laughs> you caught me, it's a fair cop. Oh my god. This is a shocking and distressing development. Not alternate dimensions. Not again. All those silly wigs and false moustaches and eye patches and strange costumes you have to wear, not to mention all the running around and talking to myself in silly voices. I can't go through it all again, Leo. Can we just uh, drop this? I mean, two weeks in a row. It's a bit much, isn't it? This is this is the way... Uh, well, it isn't. It isn't two weeks in a row. Is it two weeks in a row? Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. Oh, well, maybe not in my reality. But uh, we're not going to pursue that uh, particular dramatic avenue right now because uh, that's not what we're here to do. However, we have neatly encapsulated what this episode of Revenge of the 80s Kids is all going to be about. We're going to look back into the past briefly skim over the present and then look forward to the future. Uh, it's sort of a state-of-the-state-of-the-art uh, sort of review, really, which we've kind of cobbled together out of uh, various topics. Uh, the first of which being uh, this idea of the forgetting of culture. You'll have to remind me about this one. <laughs> yes. It, the thing is, as we've been going through our archives, it was, what's really interesting is that it, it's not really evident particularly in the 70s or 80s. There are a few bits here and there of the 80s which have not really survived 
into the present day whole and intact. In Region 2, UK, Europe, for example, it's a little bit difficult to get hold of a, a copy of Nightbreed. Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, you can't get hold of a copy of that for love nor money, and they've taken it off all the streaming services, so that's no good. But, you know, largely, if you want something from the 80s, you can track it down. I mean, we, of course, did our Swayze retrospective in which I was like, oh, I'd like to see this and I'd like to see that. Well, I might like to see some of these uh, Patrick Swayze classics that I've missed. I can't, though, because I can't get hold of them very easily. Uh, so he's been a victim of this sort of uh, great cultural forgetting. And the 90s uh, particularly is lousy with things that existed at the time and were, for a brief moment in the sun, a thing that have now just been like, oh, yeah, forget about that, you don't want to see that. Uh, I, I lead into this after our discussion about television, The Crow Stairway to Heaven. Uh, I often wondered why I'd never caught it. I always thought it was because it was of low quality and not worth my time. As it turns out, I mean, maybe it is, but uh, more pressing is the fact that in Region 2, we have not really been given the opportunity to see The Crow Stairway to Heaven at all in any way. We have to like pull strange strings on eBay and get like region unlocked DVDs from obscure parts of the globe to be able to enjoy it. Or indeed, we can enjoy it in French if we're particularly that important, uh, that that minded to. No English subtitles. These are not isolated incidents. Um, we talked uh, in the early nineties about the Bill Murray film uh, Quick Change. Where would one get hold of a copy of that these days? I have literally no idea. Um, um, and it's right just now, the best option is Bill Murray's house, I think. Yeah. Maybe not even then. Yeah, and and it concerns me that, uh, that, you know, we are really, or there was a big pinch, it, you know, in the 90s in particular, once you get past 1999 for the next decade, the noughties, it's slightly better. The things are generally more available. But we're entering another phase again where, where things are being cast uh, aside and, you know, once if you don't grab it while it's there. I mean, it, it, the culture is so quick now. Two months ago, you couldn't walk into a supermarket in the UK without tripping over deal offers on X-Men box sets. And now you can't find one. But you can find copies of The Wolverine because that was last year's uh, film from last year. It's... It, well, but, a, a, a supermarket's philosophy is reduced to clear, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, it is. But it's just the interesting thing is that, I mean, well, nobody was buying these things. I mean, these were things they had left over. They had, like, the X-Men trilogy box set from back when that was a thing. And then they had the, it, and, and they would, they, they dug them all out of the stock room and put them out in their best, you know, shirt and tie, hoping that someone would love them and take them home and, and, and what have you. But in fact, this did not happen. Yeah, I don't well, know quite how to feel about this. I'm kind of obsessive about picking up. It, it uh, is obsessive. I, I think. It, I mean, it's it's an anxiety. A lot of these things did not make a big splash at the time they came out, so they're not. Even though objectively, you may study these things and go, "This is a quality product. It's a good thing. I think it will find its viewers in time as a classic." It just, you know, it's not getting any kind of. I mean, Blade Runner. Blade Runner flopped when it came out, but then it came out on video. But there wasn't a whole lot of things that were out on video, so it was it was an easy thing to kind of pick up once word of mouth got going. But these days, we ha- we have a clutter of things coming out on DVD, successful things coming out on DVD, box sets coming out on DVD. So it, 
these things these days, they do just they get released and they still have the bad word of mouth about them. They languish, they disappear. Who's going to press more copies of that? They go to warehouses somewhere, they get reduced, they get stuck in bargain basements and turn up in supermarkets. Uh, and that was that. I'm terribly sorry, but this is not a profitable thing. We gave it a whirl. And, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there, the companies are probably thinking there's people out there who probably want this product, but not enough. Not enough to generate a, a market for us to want to put effort into circulating it, at least not as a, 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 a physical copy. Oh, well, this is the thing. I mean, what, what it really comes down to is um, that that if you'd run the maths on it, they would almost certainly 100% of the time make profit on these things. But um, someone explained it as, television companies or rights holders want to make a lot of money they don't want to make all the money that they can they only want to make a lot of money so unless an investment has the potential to bring in a lot of money they won't bother even if something that they could do would easily make them a bit of money. Well, if all the low-hanging fruit is going to get them their bonus this year, why go to all the effort of scraping around the bottom of the barrel, so to speak? Mm, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree. There is also there are some puzzling things that kind of get through. I mean, this is the thing. I don't believe that you're. I think you're ascribing too much rationality uh, to the to this process. <laughs> of course, because and never never underestimating competence. We talked a while back about um, American Gothic, of course, and uh, I, I found to my consternation that my copy of American Gothic had gone walkies, uh, and so I got a copy of American Gothic back. Very easy to get hold of the American Gothic series now. What is the difference between American Gothic and The Crow Stairway to Heaven? The only difference in this day and age is that you trip over copies of American Gothic on your way to the bathroom, whereas Crow's Stairway to Heaven is is rendered into a, a state of artificial scarcity. Well, uh, American Gothic is, I mean, for the UK, it was on, it was on a network channel, that was Channel 4, I don't know if it was on a network in America, but it was it was still a... It, for us, it was a network programme, so it was, it was a thing that was on your box television as long as you plugged it in. Uh, and so I suppose it has somewhat of a memory, but Crow Stairway to Heaven was on a, was a, was a cable channel, it was a digital program. So when those things disappear into obscurity, they, they properly vanish. They don't really have, I mean, the Crow, I wouldn't say the Crow is necessarily a particularly huge franchise. It, it has its embedded fans. Because we haven't had like a Crow revival yet, have we? They haven't, haven't said, oh, people recognise the Crow brand, we can always crank out another Crow film. When we began the podcast, the reboot was circulating. It's all gone quiet, though. Uh, the same guy who's supposed to be playing the Crow in the Crow reboot is next appearing in uh, the Dracula movie that's coming out in October. Luke Evans. So, presumably, at this point, the Crow disappeared into that, that Crow reboot disappeared into development hell yeah and it probably got a um you know a, a slap in the chops a, a sniper rifle to the plumage well from uh, the robocop reboot to, to continue you know you say it's easy to pick up american gothic now 10 years from now try and find me a copy of american gothic box set or american well, gothic download no i have to say uh l- less than 10 years ago 
you could very much have said to me, where can you get hold of a copy of American Gothic? Because uh, back in those days, the only way that you could get hold of American Gothic uh, at all, there were no tapes because uh, it came out in that transitional period. By the time you could have released it on videotape, DVD had taken over and they never did DVDs of it. So the only way you could get it was uh, people on the DVRs, the early state-of-the-art DVRs, would rip DVDs off the rerun channels, the syndicated reruns of American Gothic, burn them in order onto DVDs and then mail them out off eBay. That was the only way that you could get hold of it less than 10 years ago. Yes, but so, I'd, yeah. I'd say I'd say now it, American Gothic is perhaps in a bit of a renaissance, a bit of a sweet spot. You know, they, they finally got enough emails sent to the company to go saying, where's American Gothic box set, please, thank you to release it, and then it's sold okay. And so there's enough of them still lurking around in warehouses through to all of them of Amazon and what have you. But sooner or later, those warehouses are going to start running out. It's going to start becoming something you have to start getting off eBay. Yeah, one day day everybody who wants a copy will have a copy. That's the way it is. And Which is really weird, because with digital stuff, there is no reason for that to be the case. They do it with books. It's called Publish on Demand, yeah? You you, you have a, the meta information in a database about the artifact that you wish you know, or you may wish to have. And if you want it, you pay a cost for them to produce, in the case of books, a printed version of that book and send it to you, which is actually rather expensive. Whereas the same process with a digital media, if you had that in a database, like if Amazon had Amazon... DVD on demand and you said oh I want a copy of that and they would burn you one and it would come down a slot and then they would put it in a box with a colour printed sleeve and just send it to you it would be far less expensive than the book version and uh, take up a lot less space and yet nobody's ever done that because you can't because you're not allowed because of copyright I mean these days things can be geared towards that whole kind of after broadcast market indeed they have no broadcast market they are purely exist as a download or commodities from netflix or what have you and there's a lot of name series like you can get you can still go out and buy your complete box set of every episode of hill street blues or la law or moonlighting but these are big series in the day and so therefore they have a certain degree of brand recognition the brand recognition of crow stairways to heaven is low you have no nostalgia for Star- Crow's Stairway to Heaven, so it's purely your interest in Crow that's fueling your interest in seeing this series. Oh, I have no nostalgia for it, except that I know that it's you know yeah. I've got I've got the I've got all the Crow movies except the one where they went, hey, let's take a radical departure from everything that people love yes, about. Yes, we know series. you're so deeply wounded about the Western Crow movie. Well, that's what's so frustrating about this Stairway to Heaven situation is the fact that. From all accounts, all it is is a series which is basically like, you know, crow movies, but, you know, 22 of them in a row with some kind of continuity. The thing is that this is, you know, that's a specific example. I'm being more general here. Well, yeah, I was, the- was going to say, what is your specific anxiety? I mean, I, 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 to the nerd in me, this sort of obsessive compulsive in me does have a quiet desperation about the fact there's something out there that I can't watch anymore, I suppose. But uh, hand on heart, is, is, it, is it a tragedy? Is it a problem? Or, or is culture genuinely diminished by the lack of access the public have to these properties? Well, it manifests now. We had this kind of little blip, like I said, between 1999 and about 
2011, I would say. It lasted there. A nice golden age of, of cultural preservation where DVD was entrenched. Everything came out on DVD. Everything now exists on DVD uh, because DVD was a thing before they even made whatever it is they were making. And so they already planned the DVD campaign. And then, obviously, someone had to go and ruin that. So round about, what, 2007, 2008, Blu-rays started to creep into the... Don't forget HD DVD. Oh, yeah. What? I've forgotten all about that. Exactly. Um, and it is, it's interesting the way that um, corporations or whatever try to tell reality what it is and the way that they fail to comprehensively do that sometimes because uh, they kind of say, you know, you've had DVDs for a while now, uh, 15 years or whatever. Uh, we feel that that format has had enough. Now you're all going to switch to HD. Whether it's HD, DVD, well, or Blu-ray, you can choose that now. I, I've made, I made this point before. I'll, I'll quickly make it again. With the transition from video to DVD, uh, they, they were surprised about how big DVD took off, uh, how gl- gleeful they were to basically sell all the same properties that recently sold on video back onto DVD again. Yes. But for, think for the consumer, there's a very obvious quality upgrade to DVD over video. I don't think there's the same quantum leap for DVD to Blu-ray, especially when most houses don't have the built-in surround sound, big plasma screen television or, or LCD screen television, you know, the, the proper setup to properly get your most out of Blu-ray setup that you would need to have. But whereas DVDs, players are, they pick them up for $20 from a, from JB Hi-Fi these days. They're nothing. It's, it's, it's standard. It's like the transition from audio cassette to CD. Now, it's the same thing. People could see the, the parallels going from VHS cassette to DVD. But with Blu-ray, it's a different type of digital disc format. It's not like a, a glass cube, not the quantum leap, I think. So that's why it isn't taking off. It's, it's oh, high-end. Yeah. It's not that it isn't taking off. People do buy them, and it, it's, you know... Well, they're clearly selling, but they're still there. Yeah, what I find interesting is, uh, uh, you know, because one the thing that tells you what reality is really like is supermarket acreage. And if you go into any supermarket in the UK, for the top 20, you will have identical top 20s next to each other of the DVD version and the Blu-ray version. And the Blu-ray version has a nice blue uh, banner uh, over the top of it to make it look extra shiny and uh, uh, DVDs you don't want those Blu-ray mm, come and buy the delicious Blu-rays but then adjacent to that they have the bargain media section of which you might have a single line on a single shelf of DVDs that are maybe a pound cheaper than the, they were at retail full price and then you will have three display units of DVDs all of them at gloriously low prices. And that is where reality sits. What's very quiet is that there's a straight-to-DVD market of historical films and, you know, what what have you, and horror films particularly. And unlike the straight-to-video market of the 80s, people don't really talk about it. These things just appear. Like yesterday, I was looking in the supermarket, and a new film had appeared with uh, Danny Trejo in it called uh, Voodoo Possession. That's what it was called. And it's like, that's never seen a cinema, and it's, it's, it's just, here it is. 
and buy this. Uh, what's even more bizarre, which I really should catch up with some of these, is the the glut of Eastern European knight historicals, you know, Knight Templar and all stuff like that. Those are those look like they might be jolly good fun or tedious, whichever. I'm mean, one of the two, and, and they don't really bother. They might do Blu-rays of those, but they really they know where which side their bread is buttered on. Just put out a DVD, someone will buy it, and that's where the DVD is. You know, it's it's or, still or, going strong. Or rent it. We still have DVD rental stores here. I don't know about the UK's like these days. Did you guys no. do? You know, they're gone. We but we still have them. They're still going on over here, and it's just like the old video stores. You go through there, and you start to see films you've never heard of because they're straight from DVD, or they've never got a worldwide release. They're just kind of a small American limited release, perhaps, or something. And there they all are, and you can rent them. It's like I haven't heard of this. It's just a new thing I can see with actors I know about a subject that is, you know, a genre I'm interested in. I think I should rent this for my three dollars. No rental in back in the day were early 2000s people were saying oh the rental market is dead well they didn't know what a dead rental market looked like until after blockbuster went belly up because the rental market in the uk right now it's dead Hmm. i i if you asked me where could i go to rent a dvd from my house where's the nearest place i could get to to rent a dvd i would not be able to tell you well, I'm pleased. Oh, you do, I think you can still do rental by post. Yeah, the blockbuster. You can rent box sets at my place as well. They'll even sell you the Coke and uh, nibbles to go with it as well. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't have any. Yeah. Of that. We don't have an actual. If you said there's a physical store where you can rent DVD, we don't have that at all. Well, as much uh, as it, it starts to transition us into the modern phase of this conundrum. Well, yes, currently the uh, the corporations are trying to tell us that physical media is over. And that digital is the way of the future, uh, which is failing uh, just as well as completely gazumping DVD with Blu-ray well, is. I'm, I'm an old-fashioned git, so I actually quite like having my vi- digital media in a box on a shelf. Is the millennium generation, the millennials, are they all that bothered at all? I'm pretty sure that they're not really that bothered that they don't have a physical copy, but they are bothered for the fact that to the movie industry in particular, and the other industries that are producing media content have learnt their own lessons on this battlefield, but uh, not apparently the film industry. They've decided that the advent of digital basically means, yay, it's a free party, we can charge what we want for everything, and, and the customer has to pay it. And they're learning very slowly that, in fact, the customer does not have to pay it and i think they're in a phase now of denial where they think if it weren't for those pesky netflix if it weren't for people being able to go to an all you eat buffet of media oh we they definitely buy our overpriced digital download right there are things i would like to see that are available digital download only but i will not pay the price that they have and i'm not going somewhere else to stream that thing you know, as part of a subscription. What I'm doing is going to the subscription servicing and seeing what it is that they have on the menu, which may not necessarily be what I definitely would most prefer to see, but is there to be watched. I mean, that's that's the harsh fact of it. It's like, if you price a good too high, it doesn't matter how much people would buy it if it was at the right price. You've priced it at the wrong price, so they won't buy it. It's not food. 
It's entertainment, you know. Well, also, Netflix is... It was a realistic answer to piracy. Because let's face it, if, if Netflix wasn't there, it would just be piracy, wouldn't it? Time Warner CEO Jeff uh, Borks, want to say? I think he, he, he came on and said, Oh, Game of Thrones, uh, most pirated program in the world. He said that was a compliment that was better than, than an Emmy. And he was slammed for this. People watch Game of Thrones and they put barriers to entry to you getting that unless you fork out lots of money. So people have gone and pirated it. And that's given people who initially may not have pirated a taste of how to pirate and how easy it is. Uh, and uh, so it's like, no, this is a bad thing. It's taking money away from the industry. So there's there's another slant on making your things impossibly expensive to get. Yes, it is. It, that is definitely true. People follow, you know, the large majority of people follow the path of least resistance and for a variety of reasons. There's obviously the obvious reason to follow the path of least resistance. It is the path of least resistance. That being, there are no paths with less resistance. Um, and that's a good enough reason for many people. But then for me, for example, it's like I follow the path of least resistance because I find on that path there's plenty to keep me entertained. And I don't need to go and find things that I would much rather because I've got plenty to watch where I am. Thank you very much for asking. And new stuff appears all the time. So, you know, why should I bother breaking the law in order to get entertained when I don't have to? And that is that is definitely the key point on all this, you know, piracy piracy paranoia that goes on is that people kind of go, but if I didn't have to break the law, then I wouldn't to achieve yeah. goal X. The whole model behind iTunes and Netflix is that if people if you give people the option of, of paying a few pounds for something, they will. Yep. And this is something that has not yet cracked the digital download uh, visual media market. What's the, even better is that they pioneered a thing. One of There was a service called uh, Digital Locker or something that used to do a thing where you could buy an MP3 off them and download it, but it would keep a record of which MP3s you'd bought, and then you could download them anywhere to any device that you wanted. Now, this eventually is the same model that Amazon Music have. Uh, I don't know if iTunes does the same thing now or not. But at the beginning of MP3 downloads, people were perfectly happy to pay to have the gate lifted to do a single download. And then if somebody accidentally walked past your house with an electromagnet, you just have to pay for it again. Uh, it's only because people wanted to punt the cloud that, you know, because that's why Amazon started doing it. For a while, I bought MP3 downloads off Amazon. You got the download through the download manager and then they'd close the gate and go, thank you very much. On you go. And then suddenly they wanted to punt Amazon cloud player and all of these MP3s that they had records of me buying in the past became available to download as many times as I wanted, which is something that is also the case with uh, that uh, most lauded of PC gaming platforms, Steam hmm. and the good old games, GOG. Let us not forget that they uh, introduced a game's shelf. So when you buy things, they add that title to your shelf, which means that you can download that title as many times as you want. Okay, so you've got all of these things, and they do all of that stuff. And to be fair, uh, they have tried a bit of digital locker stuff on the video stuff so that you can watch your digital content from the locker wherever. The problem is that the price is most emphatically not right for these products because they're all too expensive, every last one of them. Mm. 
You're paying top price for a box set equivalent, aren't you? Like a fresh, on-the-shelf, brand-new box set. If you're paying, what was it, a dollar fifty an episode? Was he describing it earlier? Or, or yes, or alternatively, a price for the series as a whole, which varies between. I think I've seen like there are some things I've noticed that there are certain platforms that have started to do offers. Whether they're offering anything worth having, that's the problem. You see, when they cut the price on something that nobody wants. To a more reasonable level, like, oh, well, nobody buys it then either. It's like yes, but that's because you've cut the price on something nobody wants. Try cutting the price on something people might actually want and see what happens. See how much money you make. This is in fact part of Gog's business model with old games. They get uh, people who uh, offer their wares for sale on their platform, and they try to encourage them to occasionally do like blitz sales. And I'm imagining people are making quite a lot of money out of that because people hammer down the door and run in and buy you know all the stuff buy all the stuff whenever they put things on sale on GOG there is no movie equivalent of that they don't have flash sales the things they put on sale are terrible and old and creaky and not worth buying and when you price it that high then people kind of want something tangible Uh, and it's an example that I can pull out right away is community the five seasons that exist before that inevitable sixth season and a movie they were put up onto Amazon Prime and the first four seasons were put up streaming so that you could just watch the first four seasons as part of your subscription and then they put a paywall on the last season I believe to buy the last season cost £20 digital for £50 digital, I can get a physical copy of all five seasons. So I can either pay £20 and get digital-only access to one season or pay £30 more and have physical copies of all the seasons. See how the pricing is wrong. Because hmm. DVDs, they're costly to make. You've got the manufacturing, you've got the distribution, you've got to store them in warehouses, you've got leftover stock you don't want to do with afterwards. Digital, there's none of that. There's none at all. So there's far less overheads. They're coining in a far greater percentage of profit. So there's a a sort of resentment of greed about it, I think. Digital should be cheaper than physical media, is is the consumer's feelings on it. Yeah, and the reasons why it isn't in various cases are always so mind-meltingly stupid like the reason why ebooks from big publishers are just as expensive as buying a physical book is because they don't want the ebook to compete with the physical copy it's like well if that's a danger why not just you know make less or make it print on demand or something and just sell the thing at the right price it wrinkles my brain, as they say. I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. What I, why, where the anxiety stems from is that all of the elements are crossing over, like the, the extension of copyright, the wariness of digital, the desire not to have the consumers value DVD as highly as they clearly still do, physical. Like all of these different dialogues that are happening in the business part of the the thing are colliding into this point of willful amnesia where we're trying to get rid of everything i mean they were very concerned that people now seem to have stopped buying dvds because you know dvd sales at the moment are at a very low point but this is not because i have no thirst i mean you know i'm a big dvd buyer i, I said before the show 
I have looked at the shelves of DVDs, and when there's one that I want, I buy it. But there's very little that I want at the prices that they're trying to sell. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a staring game going on where I look at a DVD at a particular price and go, yeah, it could be cheaper and walk away. The consumers who are left who would consume a lot of DVDs have got themselves into a position where they've got more power. Because if they see something's too expensive, they just go, it'll get cheaper and they walk away. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But I'm right in most cases. There was a straight-to-DVD, uh, the third Death Race sequel, which is apparently good fun, and I've still not watched it, but yes, I did. Um, that came out, and it was £7, which is not a great amount of uh, money to spend on DVD, but I looked at it, and I stared it out, and I went, you could be cheaper, and I walked away, and I kept walking away. For months and months and months, they wouldn't reduce the price. They would try and say, no, it'll never be cheaper than £7, and one day I it was five. I went, I'll pay a fiver for that, and I bought it. Over two pounds. I mean, maybe we need some kind of barter system to come back. I'm going to haggling. Keep me waiting it for is, seven or eight months for something that, that unimportant over two pounds. Ridiculous. Nick, nickel and diming is the way to go because it taps into our psychology. And it, it is that sweet spot of how much money you're prepared to spend. Seven dollars, ten dollars, pounds even. Sorry, I'm showing my Australian location. Well, dollars, pounds, you yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. there, there's, there's something tangible about, oh, I've got to, got to cut down on my spending. I've been spending a lot of money lately. But then you see something going for three dollars. It's like, oh, I buy, I buy bars of chocolate for that amount of money. Ka-ching! Into the basket it goes. Yes, you can make a lot of money off cutting the price right down. I mean, as people have found, but then there's even a lower bar on that, uh, as they found with the 99 cent ebook, that people started to take it as a sign of low quality. We do. I mean, if you see something going for 99 pence in a in a in a basket, you do think this is crap they just can't get rid of. Yep. You certainly do. Or, I mean, if you're the discerning type like myself, you also think sometimes they put titles in there that that, well, that I want that nobody else does. So, you, have, yeah. you have an eclectic sensibility, so you're the type that would root through a bargain bin looking for some that he would like. Because that's how you approach your music. You would happily rifle through a box of cheap LPs, seeing what would catch your eye because it was cheap, and if you were interested, what the hell? But most people, it, it's a sign of it's flea market stigma, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And and flea markets are great because bargain buckets are great because they're there in front of you. You know, I go into a, a you know one of these uh, cash converters places and rifle through the DVD shelves, and the DVDs are actually there for me to rifle through. The reason I think it has such a problem in a digital mold is because there's no such thing as a digital flea market. Like all the market is there at the same level. So the, its great advantage of being a level playing field is also one of its disadvantages. Uh, and really, you know, someone who comes up with an algorithm for presenting markets in that way is going to you know make a lot of money uh, off their uh, their kickbacks because uh, when people can access all the content you know this is the holy grail you pump people a constant stream of things they want to consume at the prices they want to pay for them and you make a lot of money uh, nobody's kind of cracked that nut as of now uh, but these are not the concerns. These are not the business concerns. If we're talking, you know, we've kind of ranged around all of digital media, but we centered on movies. At the present time, uh, in this state, they're never going to be able to take away physical media and replace it with downloads because people are very market resistant to buying, you know, visual media as streaming content or as downloads. They don't want to do it. It's well, not. It, it may be different with the new, gen- new generation that's only ever known the internet. I think it's more a concern for us 
because the concept of owning something virtually is the same as not really owning it at all. Well, I have I have an 18 year old sister and I can tell you she separates things into two boxes, things she wants to own on DVD and things she's happy to watch on Netflix. The idea that there might even exist something she would pay to just have as a digital download media wise doesn't exist, doesn't happen, does not. It's not a thing. Not with I think this is one of their concerns. It's not a thing with young people. Young people will watch Netflix because young people are poor and maybe their parents will pay for Netflix. Young people will occasionally scrape together a few shekels to buy a Blu-ray, certainly, or a DVD. You know, if it's available on DVD and it's the right product, then they'll just buy it on DVD because it's cheaper. You know, but they won't buy a digital download. They won't. Hmm. So, and that's young people. So. You're screwed, basically, if you think that's going <laughs> to with, with a sample group of one. Um, well, no, but it, you're, you don't have to. If you've got a, like, if you've got an 18 year old sister, then that 18 year old sister has friends who comment upon. Oh, I may say to Facebook post. I challenge you to go onto the great morass of social media and find people boasting about the digital download of media they've just. Well, they bought. probably download music. Oh yeah, music is a different kettle of fish because I think there's a number of things that come into play. Reasonableness of price, size of the digital download file, all of those things come into play. I mean, you know, that's the way it is. But nobody's managed to digitally commodify visual media in the same way to date. And, you know, and also my anxiety as well. I mean, Netflix, iTunes, they're fairly steady big, big companies. But, you know, if, if iTunes does ever mysteriously go bust for whatever reason, then all the more my iTunes purchases, are they kind of gone forever? Well, no, they're not, because you downloaded them. I mean, I, the video. Well, the, you're know. talking to a man who, who every time his computer breaks, he loses everything on there. So it, I, I'm, I'm quite used to the three-year complete wipeout of everything I thought I'd downloaded and saved. It's like having to learn the tricks of put it on memory stick, put it on your cloud. Yes, cloud backups, they're good. Um, what was it? Um, well, the other thing, of course, is that if you buy things rather than from... I mean, I don't know about iTunes, but, yeah, I mean, Amazon have their cloud, and you're saying if Amazon were to disappear, would the cloud, their Amazon cloud, disappear? Well, the answer is yes. The likelihood of this, somewhat not. I mean, we're, the world is more likely to end due to a meteor hitting it than Amazon is to go bust. <laughs> a meteor hitting the earth would really cut into Amazon's profit because Amazon would still exist at the point where it the, happened. The evil empire will never fall. Okay, so well, I don't know about never fall, but it won't at the moment. Yes, I, you know, my lifetime is what I'm concerned about, and I'm fine. <laughs> yes, yeah, screw our kids. Um, yeah, screw them. Uh, so well, they have done for us. It will quite. A few things didn't make it onto the great digital arc, and sadly, some things from the nineties and the early noughties perhaps lost the winds of time forever. But these days. Everything is set up for this market. Everything will be perpetually kept. Surely, won't it? You know, years from now, I'll be able to... Well, no, but that's the point. We've entered a period where things are, like, just given the digital run-through. You know, just like, if I wanted to catch up at the moment on a BBC America show that everyone is going nuts for called Orphan Black, where would I go to do that? Oh, I wouldn't, because you can't get season one. Probably you can buy it on DVD, but that's a bit of a commitment for something you've not even seen yet. I mean, that's just an example of things where they just go, oh, well, this is over for us now, so it's over for everyone else as well. I mean, what really baked my noodle was then they did Orphan Black season two and offered each of the episodes from the new season on streaming and then didn't think, 
hey, you know what would get more people into this little show that we've made that nobody knew about in season one? Putting season one up so people could bring themselves up to speed and then continue with season two. That is a bit That's weird. Really... As, as, as an ongoing series, the absence of series one is weird. Yeah. I was saying this, and then as a leading to our future topic, because we've been from the past through the present, we're going to the future. I'm saying the businesses don't care about courting and cultivating an audience who are au fait with a series of cultural things like a series, like a serial where characters kind of reappear and have different. And then I realized that our future topic is exactly this. This seems oddly at odds with our cultural amnesia is the fact that people think that the new model for make, you know, cinematic success and multi-billion dollar box office receipts is uh, to court people with universes well, such as a popular company that has a universe and uh, seems to be doing quite well on it and getting lots of praise everyone else wants a slice of that well pie. we've no one to blame but ourselves Leo apart from the fact that we we have continued to gush endlessly about the Marvel movies and the cinematic universe uh, they've done gangbusters at the box office so it's no surprise whatsoever that people are lining up including Disney to try and do the same trick again with with other properties of course the obvious candidate would be the uh, DC uh, cinematic universe uh, Star Wars is going to do effectively the same thing by interspacing their trilogy movies with standalone movies in the next few years we're going to double the number of Star Wars movies that exist you know, what, what took Lucas 20 years, we're going to do in six. And, and of course, uh, on the horizon, Gel Tormo uh, is uh, in talks to the Frankenstein movie because Universal want to do their monster cinematic universe with all their famous properties, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, um, a creature from the Black Lagoon. It, it, they're going to have their own individual movies and then come together for shared franchise movies as well. And... This much mm, like Titanic too. Yeah, much like you know, uh, Titanic approaching the iceberg. This is merely the tip of it all. We have we have lauded and praised this model of how Marvel have done things with their shared universe. So here we are, and uh, is this a bad thing? Is this a good thing? Well, Marvel. I would say they're the exception that proves the rule, but that's not really the, uh, in the traditional sense of the word, prove, meaning to, to test or attempt to break. But in fact, no, Marvel have done something which, until it, it started to pay off as it has done handsomely, looked like crazy talk, which is that, you know, we've got to remember that Marvel have been doing crossover events since ever. Uh, I'm looking right now on my wall at the uh, edition of the Man Called Nova comic that has a crossover with Thor. And then Iron Man versus Doctor Doom, traditionally a bit of a Fantastic Four villain. But no, not in this case. Marvel have been doing this since the late 60s, early 70s in comics. And they've only got more and more sophisticated at crossover events, thus allowing them to do things like uh, Civil War and Secret Invasion in their comic strand. Yeah, they know no. what, you know, something I remember about the what makes... Infinity series from back in my day. Looking forward yeah. to that turn up in film. They know what something about what makes an effective crossover event. And all of their movies, you know, people are like, wow, these movies are really good. 
But Iron Man was preceded by Marvel Animation Studios doing the invincible Iron Man. And uh, we're finally getting our Doctor Strange movie two years I've saved the date. It's like someone's getting married or something. But there's a Doctor Strange animated movie. There is an Avengers, two, in fact, Avengers animated movies. Marvel Animation Studios have been pumping them out, you know, one after another. And and you'd be a fool to think that that wasn't... The animation studio wasn't basically doing animatics to see what kind of things work in a Marvel movie. So the movies were pre-tested. And then, you know, two Avengers movies means they've had two bites of the animation. You know, they get reviews back. Marvel fans buy Marvel Animation Studios movies. And they just need to look at the commentary on that and say, well, obviously people didn't like this or they didn't like that or, you know, whatever happens. In fact, the first... Ultimate Avengers uh, movie is about alien invaders invading New York, and it is Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Iron Man. Wait, I think I've seen this movie, but it wasn't animation. How strange! Yes, exactly. Failure to prepare is preparing to fail, and all that. They prepared the hell out of this cinematic universe, but because you know people are quite myopic, I can see it. It's easy to point out. But nobody else seems to have gone, well, yeah, they did a hell of a lot of groundwork to do all this stuff. And also, and this is a very key point, not only are they practiced at it, but each of these characters does have their own franchise, their own comic books. So they have their own mythology, they have their perennial nemesises and their major arcs, character arcs, which they can cherry pick from for these movies. You don't necessarily have that with the Universal Monster movies, do you really? They have origin stories, that's about it. Well, the Universal Monster movies is, yes, possibly the the least universe-friendly suggestion that has been made so far. But the the other franchises out out there which do have very rich universes, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, these would be amenable to a universe franchise, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think in both of those cases, you have a problem. Like, the good thing about, the, the you know, the advantage the Universal Monster movie thing has is that Dracula, yeah, okay, so Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, but Dracula is really like the ultimate vampire, and Frankenstein's monster is by Mary Shelley, but has become, re been rehashed so many times that it's become a, a different thing than it was. It has indeed become its own monster of stitched together cultural references, um, animated by, uh, you know, flickering lights in, in darkened cinemas. Uh, wolf men are wolf men, creatures from black lagoons are, are fish men, basically. You know, it, 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 the, the invisible men are men who are invisible. See the hollow man for details. That's not an adaptation of the invisible man. It's just a movie about a man, or rather a douche who is invisible. Well, the uh, original Invisible Man was a bit of an idiot and a douche as well, so anyway, moving well, on. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, well, it's, it's because, really, uh, the Invisible Man's uh, forebear is the Ring of Gyges, uh, powerful yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, by Socrates. But anyway, yes, so it, you have all of these um, things which are, you know, sort of you, you, separate, and they all make a universe together and, and there's a big mess. But at least they're all these separate own things. Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Harry Potter was written by J.K. Rowling. Lord of the Rings was written by J.R. Tolkien. J.R. Tolkien is not writing anymore. Yes, and, but the dearth uh, of background material and notes they have. I mean, effectively, the latest, the latest trilogy of Hobbit movies is stitched together things from his index. A lot of it, isn't it? Well, yeah, but then you, you will run out. I mean, the point is... All the J.R.R. Tolkien that can exist does. 
that no more J.R. Tolkien canning. There Tell that will, to his grandchildren. You will reach the end of that material eventually. There is no way I'm around. I'm Christopher Tolkien. I am typing now. Yeah, but uh, but uh, who cares about that? Does anyone really care about that? Well, it's it's part of the Tolkien verse, though, isn't it? And it's and there's is still it? a there's still a heck of a lot of source material in Tolkien. You know, Greek mythology. You could you could do a Greek mythology uh, franchise. You could you? do a Greek mythology universe because the Greek mythology was not written by a single person, and therefore you can sort of take some liberties with that, and that's fine. Yes, that's not a problem. J. I mean, J.K. Rowling is the other one. Is is you could actually, you know, it's a bit like the old uh, Sherlock Holmes problem. Uh, that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle had, that he was sick to death of it, and people made them bring him back. And I feel that people are, uh, uh, you know, as J.K. Rowling has made, like, one adult fiction novel, which people were like, mm, it's a bit depressing. I suppose it was all right. Yeah. Like that. And then went very, very quiet. Basically, in the silence of her room, wherever she is now, she can just hear a circle of millions of people going, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Well, indeed, Harry the, the pressure of being J.K. Rowling is so great, she doesn't want to publish under that name anymore, particularly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, 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 I cannot foresee a future in which there is no more Harry Potter, which is interesting because there are other things. Like, nobody, it's literally, there was not as, there might have been a circle of ten, maybe, people going, Sandman, Sandman, Sandman. Yet Neil Gaiman cracked under the pressure of those ten people chanting really quietly very long way away and wrote more sandman which was completely unnecessary chuck palaniuk you know the first rule of a fight club sequel is we don't even consider a fight club sequel except if you're chuck palaniuk in which case you do and it's like no you've got something here that is perfect yes. and whole and complete walk away you have done something that People wish they could have done. I wish I could have written The Sandman. I wish I could have written Fight Club. Putting more on will not make it better. It will, in fact, make it even more embarrassing. You've shot worse. your bolt, sir. Yes, it, and, and it was a very good bolt, and it is perfect, and you can live off the proceeds forever. Don't ruin it. Whereas Harry Potter, I don't feel, is that kind of thing. If, people, if she wrote more Harry Potter, um, fair enough. I don't feel it's something that doesn't need to be. Well, I, I, I just plug. Well, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fully formed universe. Is is more of what I was going about. Star Wars, um, and there was recently a piece of clickbait I went to, which was four reasons the new Star Wars films are going to suck. And it said it's, it's aping the Marvel model, which it is. And it was its anxiety was well, we we've had so many years of spin-off media of Star Wars. There's precious little there that's interesting, and it's kind of going, well, really, guys, since the Empire Strikes Back, what have we had that has been so noteworthy, particularly? And going, you don't have enough material, there's not enough characters that make up the Star Wars universe for you to do that many standalone movies. We are going to be hitting the Yoda standalone movie and the Darth Vader standalone movie fairly soon, aren't we? You know, once you've done Han Solo and Fett, what's left? Well, ironically, the pers people who could answer that most effectively would be Marvel, who once did Star Wars comics, as I recall. Mm. Because 
you have to expand the universe in order to make more of it. You know, there needs to be well, more. Well, they have, but the, exp- the expanded universe characters, there's very few there. Thrawn made a good impression, but they've killed him off. Um, Mara Jade, which is like Luke's wife, they've killed her off as well. The, the, the Han Solo's children, he had three, they've killed two. Um, no, no, I'm not saying that. No, but the point is that I don't believe that uh, the extended, this famous extended Star Wars universe was approached with quite the rigour and uh, obsessive control that Marvel took to their crossover events. They just no. went, you know, if if it's Star Warsy, then it fine, but don't. And it, it really, do, I mean, the point about it is, Marvel have this pressure with their crossovers that it is all canon. You know, if they're going to uncanon some of it or retcon some of it, they have to jump through hoops to undo story snarls, yeah, um, and which people complain about constantly. They hate it, yeah. Whereas very early on in both Star Trek and Star Wars, uh, original creators, the gatekeepers of what is and isn't canon, said, look, if it didn't happen on a screen, it's not. Canon. Well, for Star Trek, for people for, for Star to do Trek whatever the bloody hell they wanted, as long as it was in the right direction. You're, you're right, but uh, Star Wars does have some clarity to it because they effectively put in out, out a grading system, and basically said film is top, and then you've got other things successive done. It. it all counts as you know canon if you're going to put together your Star Wars wiki, uh, but ultimately a film trumps. I think that, that's correct because it's tail wagging the dog otherwise if your if your books are, ne- are negotiating to you what your film can be about and that's particularly dangerous because then you say well i have written a piece of star wars fan fiction in which uh jabba the hut just uh put a cap in the back of han solo's head and what would have happened in that said and they're saying well obviously the film trumps that we know that's not what actually happened but if you're putting together your star wars wiki then this little branch is a what if it is sort of that kind of multiversal canon you know so basically just to get it straight you want to have the cake but you also want to eat it do you know what i mean well, I, I, don't, I don't i don't think the sort of post return the jedi chronology was a particular issue until suddenly they were making more movies at which point the movies need to go look guys we need space to develop the story ourselves we don't want to be burdened with goodness knows how many trashy novels we've got to negotiate our way around uh, and events is better to have a clean slate because most people haven't read them which is true uh, what's, what's very interesting about this discussion is that way way back uh, when i first approached the thing about saying how marvel had prepared the ground beautifully to to swoop in and put their cinematic universe together i was meaning to go straight on to say and of course the person who's most or the the group that is most uh, apt to to follow in their footsteps is dc at which point we went off in a tangent on every other direction except dc which i feel it perfectly encapsulates the yes. way that the DC Cinematic well, Universe is going at the moment. It is a car crash happening in slow motion. I, I'm almost too horrified to look. I don't hate them. I'm not angry. I feel sad. I feel really unhappy for them. They're going to have a really mean time of things. And gosh darn it, they really, really wanted it. I, I tell you who's going to save the DC Cinematic Universe from being the ultimate wretched, could have been but wasn't kind of all that stuff. Do you know what's going to rescue them? Kevin Smith! No. Who? The Fantastic Four. DC? Have you heard anything about the new Fantastic Four movie? Well, I, I heard they want to do another reboot, and I was like, oh, if we must, but I suppose it's better than what we have. Uh, but is it going to suck? Uh, it would be 
Only is it possible to say. Hasn't come out. Might be the best thing ever. But every word that comes out of the production team's mouth, they've already started filming on it. Every word that comes out of an actor's mouth or a producer's mouth, just they may as well just stand in front of an interviewer and with a klaxon go. It's all warning signs. They haven't said a single thing about it that makes it sound as if it's going to be. You would have thought with the two films they've released last decade now, was it that 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 they would have learned their lesson? Like this time, guys, we're going to do it right. Well, they seem to have taken all of that on board and and then turned the ship around and sailed in completely the opposite direction. Like somebody said, like one of the two things that people hate most about those two Fantastic Four movies in order are one, Galactus is a gigantic fart. Hate people hated that. They really really hated it. It didn't matter that the, the you could there was a point at which through the gigantic cloud off you know in orbit around Earth the sort of light shone in such a way that you could see Galactus's real head through the cloud. No, they cheated. They didn't do Galactus. Otherwise, that movie if they had if they'd committed to it, if they'd found a way to make a giant man with a purple horned helmet and a cylindrical head work if they'd really committed themselves, say this is the one element that should blow people's socks off and it cannot look stupid. So if the rest of the film we pretty much got a handle on, let's just work on that one thing and get that absolutely right. If they'd have done that, it would have been the best Fantastic Four movie anyone had ever made. Mm, really? But they managed to blow it with that one thing. And the other thing that they hate, and they hate it more than the giant Galactus fart, is Doctor Doom was rubbish. Yeah, he is. And you can't have a rubbish Doctor Doom fighting Fantastic Four. It basically devalues the whole Fantastic Four. After that, there are niggles. You know, well, Jessica Alba as the Invisible Girl. Really, no. The guy who played Reed Richards didn't work, but not in a terrible way. Just it didn't really work. They were it functional. The, the thing about functional. The Fantastic Four was uh, the pitch I kind of got from it was they were doing X Men for children. Well, that's the thing. The first Fantastic Four movie was actually pretty good tonally and everything. The only problem with it was that Doctor Doom was rubbish. Mm. And and it ruined the whole film. Like, if they'd have got Doctor Doom right... Like, weirdly, the Roger Corman Doctor Doom is much better, like, in terms of tone and the costume is amazing in that. For well, he's one of the Marvel uber-villains, uber isn't he? So he, he, yeah. he can't so, be rubbish. Doctor, yeah, Doctor Doom is, has to be good and it wasn't. Galactus should be done right and it was done wrong and that kind of soured that. Essentially, if you just made those movies again and did them the, the villains correctly, you'd have had two pretty solid Fantastic Four movies. That's the irony. So, you know, basically, rather than learning that lesson and going, we're going to reboot Fantastic Four and we're going to try and get... You know, I think it's very important. I think, unlike Spider-Man, where when they rebooted it, it was a bit... Really? You'd... Okay, fair enough. For legal yeah, reasons, we're rebooting Spider-Man now. Yes, exactly. And for legal reasons, they're rebooting Fantastic Four. Exactly. So, but the thing is, I think it does make an incredibly... It, it, it is incredibly important. Like, if you rebooted Fantastic Four, but you got the Dream Team cast to play the Fantastic Four, like, you really worked on that to make the Fantastic Four real. And I think the char- this is the thing. Fantastic Four, I hadn't realised this before. It is a sort of science fantasy thing rather than a 
throwing buses around at each other. You know, it's not Hulk smash. This is a uh, more Star Trekky in it, but it, but then it's a character piece. The characters have to interact in a in a particular manner. Well, you have to get the characters. It is a, fa- it is just, a family. Yes, you have to get the characters just right. And if you get the characters just exactly right, people will love it. And the the reason, as I already said, the two things they hate most about those movies is they got two of the characters dead wrong. Okay, so you'd think that if that's the lesson, the lesson is that the Fantastic Four is the thing that exists purely on getting the characters dead on, bang on right. The problem is that they did stuff where they they pulled what I would call dick moves, like Johnny Storm is now black. Mm. And so when people say, but, but Johnny Storm is, is Sue's brother and Sue is not black. And in fact, the actress playing Sue is definitely not black. They just go, oh, you're racist. And it's like, that's a dick move because that's not the discussion we're having right now. You know, well, you couldn't, um, you couldn't make the thing black, could you? Because that that would that would have racist overtones as well. Would it? Well, yeah, because the, the no, big, the big, strong, angry man, and he's black. Well, there, of course. Oh, I guess yes, that's fine. Yeah, well, you can't. Right, okay. With the Fantastic Four, really, just in the case, a black of- Reed Richards. That's where they should have gone. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could have. Actually, that would be. Denzel Washington as Reed Richards. I would love to see that. <laughs> You'd never get Denzel Washington, surely. Okay, Chuet Elijah for as Reed Richards. Oh yeah, yeah. You see, I've, therefore your dick move is now invalidated. I am prepared to accept a, a studious, gravitas wielding black Reed Richards. No problem with that because Reed Richards is Sue's husband. He doesn't have to be white unless you could, of course, make both the Human Torch and Sue black. You could do that. Yeah, I suppose, if you really wanted. But it was so purely that they did it, because I think this was just the, the spearhead of their plan to completely... Basically, they're all like teenagers now or something. Ugh. Yes, you see, now you're starting to grow. None of them are over 30, okay, in this new version. And it says, oh, yeah, but there's this big family connection. You know, Reed is married to Sue and Sue is the brother of Johnny and Ben Grimm's like Reed's best friend, you know, but they're like a family. And and they turned around and went and smiled softly and went, yes, they're like a family. Well, you mean none of them are related in any way? You know, they're... so what you're basically making is a film about four super powered young people under 30 who are quote unquote like a family, one of whom is black. In what way is that a Fantastic Four movie? Yeah, yeah I think the missing point, I mean, it is a genuine anxiety that there isn't that many black superheroes of note around. It is a genuine anxiety that Marvel have. Yeah, and I think that, that, that they pick always the worst ones to, to, you know, like, you know, okay, fine, make Cyclops black. I well, don't they, care. they made Nick Fury black. And now the comic book version's gone, uh, has gone, it's his son, but he's well, black that's now from as the well. Ultimates. The, the Nick Fury was always black in the Ultimates, so fine. Yeah, so Nick Fury's black, yeah, that's fine. Really, the number of characters I give a shit about their racial origins is very low, but yet they seem to have targeted one of the ones where it seems a little bit off. Well, yes. You know. Well, yeah, also they, they targeted the second string male and made him black as well. So you, you, there's various ways you can cut this cake and being happy about it. It's, it's a mind yeah, exactly. every time you go into it. 
Yeah, exactly. So the best thing to do would have been not to go into the minefield. I mean, apart from anything else, this guy who's now playing the Human Torch has to follow Chris Evans, and nobody was arguing that the Human Torch or the Thing were bad in the Fantastic Four movies. No, both were bob-on perfect. And so you're taking something perfect and ruining it, and then not adding anything yet. So uh, basically, Fantastic Four, I can I predict right now, will be the thing that makes Batman v Superman look slightly better than it actually is. So ugly sister syndrome. Yeah, that uh, you know that kind of thing. It is totally like it's almost as if Fox have planned to help a Warner Brothers out by making their film look more unattractive than... (laughs) No, you see, we can screw up too. Yeah, exactly. Um, We just haven't done it with our essential core properties. But but carry on, DC. Carry on. It is weird. I mean, we we started off to talk about how sad it is that DC can't get their act together and then not talk about the Fantastic Four. This is DC's essential problem. What is in, what is there that is interesting to talk about DC? Well, they, they do have interesting characters that are known. I mean, we've, we've said before it's astonishing they haven't even tried to do a to do a, a Wonder Woman movie. Goodness, for whatever reason they feel averse to it. We don't know why. With machine gunning raccoons about to turn up in the, in the Marvel universe, you know, Batman's known. Superman. You may not may think we we have always complained about the problems with Superman, but he's a branded character people recognise. Arrow is doing quite well as as a TV series, isn't it? Oh, that's yes. That's the the bitter side of the DC debacle is that. Arrow is taking loads of minor league DC characters like now there's a Flash series and it's like oh and of course the Flash has come out they've just started showing the the first episodes of the Flash and Constantine both DC properties and it's like DC on television currently unassailable because the only thing they've got against them is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. which yes which is fine but no more than fine who knows what's going to happen when Netflix busts out, you know, Daredevil. But, but to, to, get, to get back to our initial concerns, so this cinematic universe model, though, it's going to be coming regardless of how good it is. How do we feel about it? Is it only Marvel that can do this because they're the guys with the experience of handling these explosives? In order, I think that DC obviously has the potential. To, I liken it to tennis. It's like a tennis player who's usually very good. They just need to pull their head out of their arse and get focused. DC has a lack of focus. That's fine. Okay, good. Right, moving on. Yeah, that's all they need. I mean, that's what's even more sad about the DC thing. All they're missing is focus. Star Wars, it might work. I don't think it won't work. I think it might work. I think it can work. I think it's a fine idea. Yeah, great. Universal Monsters, not so much. But... And this is where we get to the crucial question. Why is it that, with the one hand, all of these people want us to ignore, forget, abandon, let go of uh, things from the past that we may feel affectionate towards? Or at least they they will say, oh, you're affectionate towards it. All right, then that's £100 to see five minutes of footage or whatever it is. Then these are the kind of things. If they could get away with charging it, they would, that kind of thing. But then on the other hand, saying the way to cultivate an audience for the cinematic future is to get them to invest and to, you know, like, I'm sure that Marvel 
uh, uh, beside themselves thinking of, you know, people who are no doubt doing this, that when Avengers 2 drops next year, they are going to be sitting there with DVD collection of all the other Marvel movies, and they're going to force themselves over a two-week period to watch every Marvel movie, and then walk into Avengers 2. And Marvel are like, yes, this is fantastic. This is what we want people to be doing. We want people to be obsessive about the Marvel Universe. And, and in fact, all the other studios are exactly the same way about stuff they're doing right now. But at the same time, stuff that's happened in the past, forget all about that. I mean, I suppose that's the, the essential crux of the matter, isn't it? People always want to, businesses always want the consumer to look forward because the thing that you're going to do is going to make you more money than the thing you've done already, apparently. Tell that to uh, whoever's getting the royalty checks from the, the from from Ghost Town by the specials. Oh, well, onwards and upwards, I suppose. Tell that to the remaining members of D-Light, who are still living their life off the proceeds of Groovies and Art. Well, you know, I, I suppose it's optimism at the end of the day. It's, it's the ambition that our greatest days are yet ahead of us, and we need not have nostalgia to give us a cultural anchor. But what's really weird is that eventually, like, Iron Man is, what, 2007? We're seven years on from that. We're about to go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the last starter before the entree of Avengers 2 next May. Are we supposed to forget about Iron Man? Oh, yeah, Iron Man, that's old. No, because Iron Man's still relevant. He's still going to be in the movie next year. But that's the thing. You can't have it both ways. What's going to happen in another seven years? That 14-year-old Iron Man movie is that... Well, well uh, uh, like, like the comic books, are you supposed to remember uh, you know, 50 years' worth of Iron Man comics? Or, you know, with the movies, eventually, of course, Iron Man will get recast after after a, a, enough break, and Iron Man will always be there, I suppose. Well, Petrol, I mean, unchanging and unaging. I'm starting to realise that I have fallen hook, line and sinker for the, uh, the Illuminati, because, uh, of course, another part of Marvel's far-reaching uh, plan is that in both, I think in the US as well, but certainly in the UK, they're doing their Ultimate Graphic Novel Collection. And Volume 1 of the Ultimate Gra- Graphic Novel Collection, um, not the one that you received first, in fact, it was the second issue, but it was the, the it's number one on the spine, was to Iron Man in uh, Devil in a Bottle. Oh, no, Issue 3 was Extremis. That was an Iron Man, wasn't it? which obviously prepared the way for Iron Man 3. Uh, <laughs> yes, they, this is the thing. Somewhere, someone or some group of people is coordinating Marvel. I've noticed this. You know, their HeroScape happened to have all characters, including Thanos, who are now in movies. They bring out their ultimate Marvel graphic novel collection and managed to seed one three months down the line where they did Winter Soldier in the ultimate graphic novel collection. These are not coincidences. Well, Marvel, they are, know their source material and they and they know how to mine it and they know how to. They are curators of a wide experience. So when you say, "Are you supposed to bear in mind fifty years of Iron Man copies?" Apparently, according to the Ultimate Marvel Graphics Novel Collection, you're not supposed to go particularly much further back than 1980. But that Devil in a Bottle series, ooh, that really was a a cracking storyline, wasn't it? So there we are. That's the the answer is that we have discovered we've blown it all apart. Uh, they want to erase the past in order to build the future, and the Illuminati uh, exist in Marvel, who are now owned by Disney. Wow, it's like a sort of cultural conspiracy theory. 
It's crazy. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, giving a second stab at something. You, the other the other week, well, a few weeks ago, now you're amusing at a reboot of the Star Wars prequels, and I poo pooed it. But I'm, I'm quite sure people did the prequel movies over again. There would definitely be an improvement. I'd happily forget the original ones were there. Well, yes, yeah, sometimes you do want to forget culture. So, yeah, I suppose that is a good point. Well, I'm now feeling in the mood to get a big cork board out and run bits of string between pins on it. So uh, while I'm doing that, where can people go to share the wackiest shared universe conspiracy theories uh, if they wish to do so with us? Well, one place they could go to put on their tinfoil hats and show us their interesting theories about the interconnected plots of everything would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting and no others. Uh, but I suppose uh, podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your browser towards 80s kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S, kids.podomatic.com, uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice, or download your PC for dark and spiritual reasons of your own. Uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to... www.leostableford.blogspot.com In fact, you don't need the www, but it's just leostableford.blogspot.com. Why make it more complicated for yourself? Well, leostableford.com will do it as well, won't it? Yes, that you don't even need the the blogspot. It's it's infinitely contractable if you're not into that. But you can do www.leostableford.blogspot.com if you're not into that whole brevity thing. No one does www Um, anymore. That's old. 90s, man. 90s, um, 90s. Yes. Um, uh, our other co-conspirator, Justin, who cannot be with us this week, but will be with us next week, he can be found at DeviantArt uh, under his name, uh, Justin Wyatt. Although, why you'd want to find him? Maybe you want to tell him that people are watching him, uh, you know, that, because that's what conspiracies are all about. Well, as not all his artwork is on his DeviantArt page. Hmm, I smell yes. something going on there. But if you layer this one over that one, you get a mess of black and white lines. What is he trying to tell us? It's a message. Uh, Well, the only message I have to pass on now, really, is uh, goodbye, and I hope to see you again soon. Yes, uh, uh, same from me. Goodbye. Farewell. The first of which being uh, this idea of the forgetting of culture. You'll have to remind me about this one. Oh, I yes. can't, though, because I can't get hold of them very easily. Uh, so he's been a victim of this sort of uh, great cultural forgetting. Well, no, but that's the point. We've entered a period where things are, like, just given the digital run-through, you know, just like... Some businesses don't care about courting and cultivating 
an audience who are okay with a series of cultural things like a series like a serial where characters kind of reappear uh, they want to erase the past in order to build the future wow it's like a sort of cultural conspiracy theory it's crazy a development. It might be necessary to advance our plans. Yes. Yes, the 80s kids. I see. Very well. As you wish. Big Bang.